Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we're all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want to get more information about what is going on here at the Met, then head over to our website, metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected to you throughout the week through social media. So please be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now please enjoy the message. You know, the um, ancient mariners would use the sun and the stars to try to navigate where they're trying to go. You and I, similarly today, we use satellites, right? The GPS technology. But as we've been talking about in this series, once you have connected with your creator, once you have Jesus Christ as a part of your life, you now have kind of a spiritual navigation system. We kind of have a built-in way of trying to discern the right path. The Bible says in the 119th Psalm, the 105th verse, that the, the Bible is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So I have a way in which I can know what steps to take. Now it doesn't show me what's coming 100 yards down the way, but it shows me where to put the next step. And you know what I found in life that the secret to an effective life is not really your five year plan, but your five minute plan. You make good decisions the next five minutes of your life, the next five years tend to take care of itself. And your guide as a Christ follower is certainly God's word, a lamp and a light. And then of course in Romans chapter eight and verse 14, the Bible says not only do we have the the Bible to be our guide, but we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we are led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually leads us in the path that we should go. So there is a way, there is a way whereby we can know what direction we need to take in life. Uh, We can make good decisions in life because if you're connected with your creator, You have a system within you, much like a GPS system around you, to help you navigate and make good decisions. But what I have found in life, and this is what we're gonna deal with this morning, that a lot of about making good decisions in life is learning the value of patience. And this morning, I've entitled our talk with you this morning, wait for it, (laughs) wait for it. A lot of times we get in trouble when we get in a hurry and God isn't. So I want to challenge you this morning to simply wait for it. And when you look into the Bible, you will discover that there are so many people in life who became impatient, who made impetuous decisions, and God had to kind of take them and reroute them to get them back where he would have them go. Now, there may be people like that here this morning. There may be people who have made some decisions in life that you regret, you made some mistakes in life that you wish you could get the do-over on, and I just suggest to you this morning that the providence of God brought you here to tell you he's rerouting you. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna get through this, you're gonna get over this, you're gonna get past this. If God were finished with you, guess what? You would already have reached your destination. You would have been home, you'd be in heaven. But the fact that you're still here tells me that he's not finished with you, you just may be being a, a system, you may be being rerouted, right? So part of being rerouted involves this idea, this aspect of patience. Now we're gonna look at a beautiful love story in the Bible, and I'm just gonna kinda skim across the top part of it because we don't have time to drop down into it, but eight books over in the Bible, you have the beautiful, incredible book of Ruth. What an amazing love story. But in that book, you have interesting characters. Some made good decisions, some made bad decisions. But the overarching reality of the book of Ruth, it is about people being rerouted. 
God taking them where they were and moving them to where they should be. And in the end, it becomes a beautiful masterpiece, a beautiful love story. What was great about Ruth, this little Moabitish girl, is that God had a special man for her. He had a man by the name of Boaz. And Ruth was patiently waiting on her Boaz. So I don't know how many of you in this morning uh, that are here this morning or watching online, you haven't met Boaz yet, wait on your Boaz. Be patient, wait for it. Don't settle, ladies, don't settle for any of Boaz's cousins or you're gonna make a bad decision. For example, don't settle for broke ass. (laughs) Don't go out with lion ass. Don't hook up with cheating ass. <laughs> Stay away from dumb ass. <laughs> Don't date drunk ass. <laughs> Stay away from lazy ass. <laughs> Wait on your bow ass. Oh, that was free like the rest of it. Y'all, y'all still out there? All right. Just checking, make sure I still got everybody here. <laughs> I had some folks jump ship that other service, so I'm glad y'all are, y'all are still with me on this. She learned patience and God had the right person for her. And let me tell you something, God has a plan for you. I told you before that you would only want for you, I mean, God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. God knows what's best. He created you. He knows exactly what you need. And for some, he knows exactly who you need. So I guess I'm just saying again, wait for it, wait for it. So let's drop into Ruth and you'll see where I'm going with this. In fact, if you have a Bible, look at Ruth chapter one. I just wanna give you one verse to kind of set the pace for what I wanna talk to you about. The Bible here opens the book of Ruth with this phrase. It was in the days when the judges ruled. Now this is giving us the context. This is telling us what kind of world Ruth was living in. And she was living in a time when the judges ruled. This was a time when Elimelech and Naomi, a time when they lived. It was a time of the judges. Now, if you go into Judges chapter 21, verse 25, you understand what this looked like. The Bible says, during the time when the judges ruled, get this phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So you have this idea of people just doing whatever they wanted to do. And so it was a time of moral chaos. And so this was a time of the judges and Elimelech and Naomi, they had two boys, this family in the town of Bethlehem. And when they are trying to follow God and they're trying to raise their family, notice what they're dealing with here. They're dealing with a famine. Can I tell you, you can be the people of God, you can be connected to God, you can be in a right relationship with God and go through famine. You can go through a difficult time. You can have a financial reversal. You can have a relationship go sour. You can have a kid twist off. (laughs) There's a lot of things that can happen to good people in a good place doing good things. The, 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 The point here of the story is what you do when you're faced with a famine. The decisions you make when the trouble hits your life because trouble will hit your life. Job 14.1, I use this a lot. Man who is born of woman, Job said, and that's pretty much all of us. Man who's born of woman is a few days, and then he says those few days, full of trouble. It's a cycle, right? You're in trouble right now. You're getting out of trouble right now. Or guess what? You're about to get back in trouble. (laughs) It's a cycle. Here the people of God were in a time of famine. And there's a famine in the land of Bethlehem. Now what's interesting about that is that the word Bethlehem means house of bread. 
And yet God allows a famine to hit the house of bread. So here Naomi, her husband Elimelech, their two boys, they have a decision to make. Do we stay tied and ride this thing out? The economy is cratered. Uh, We're having trouble keeping food on the table. We're having a difficulty making ends meet. And it seems that God is silent. Have you ever been in a similar situation? Where you've prayed and you've prayed and it just seems like you're not getting an answer and and the pressure is mounting and the problems are confronting you and and, and you just don't know what to do. And all of a sudden you hear that there's, there's plenty of food in Moab. Now on the surface, that that looks like maybe a a, a tempting uh, proposition. Let's leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. But again, if you understood, the Moabitish people were people that hated God. They were people who were immoral and there were people who sacrificed. They believed in human sacrifices. They thought the way to appease their gods would be to sacrifice their own children. And they were known as a bloodthirsty, vengeful people. It's not the neighborhood you'd want to raise your kids in. It's not the ideal town you would want to move to, but I'm suggesting that these good people are about to make a bad decision because of the circumstances they found themselves in and they did not and could not discern God's leadership. So they took that advice. Do something, even if it's wrong. (laughs) Can I tell you, that's about the dumbest piece of advice anybody has ever given. You talk about out of the frying pan into the fire, that's about what's about to happen. So they go. They move their family to Moab. And wow, talk about trouble. Uh, Elimelech gets sick, he dies. It isn't long until the two boys had married and, and, and they were happy with these, young, these two young married couples, but it isn't long until both the boys die. And so here is Naomi, a long way from her country, disconnected from her God with her two daughter-in-laws and all the weight and responsibility that she has on her shoulders. And she finds herself in a worse situation than she was when they were in Bethlehem. And the first thing I wanna point out as I look at this story is it just jumps out at me, this idea that problems are inescapable. I mean, here, as far as I know, everything I've studied about these people, they were really good people. But these good people were faced with this huge problem. Elimelech, Naomi, good kids. But when this huge problem hit their life, they were, they felt, pressured into making a decision. Let me tell you, when trouble hits your life, when problems hit your life, there's one of two things that can happen, and you're in control of this. One is you can allow the problems that you're facing this morning to help you develop patience. The Bible says in James chapter two, get this, tribulation brings about patience. So if you're facing with a prob- faced with a problem this morning, understand this, the positive side of your problem is you can go to school and you can actually learn the value of patience slash perseverance. Let me give it to you in a biblical definition. It is the idea of enduring under less than ideal circumstances and enduring with a good attitude. That is only developed through trouble. I tell people, look, if you, if you feel like you need patience, I wouldn't suggest praying for it. <laughs> 
Because the Bible says tribulation brings about patience. You might as well pray for trouble. You ever prayed that way? You know, God, things are going so well in my life right now. I think I need some trouble. I'm getting along really well with my wife or husband or significant other. Would you bring a little, let's get some friction going here. How about a good fight? Man, the kids are going real, everything's going great. How about a little problem with the kid? Oh, money, we have money in the bank. God, would you give us that wonderful experience again of the feeling of being broke? Oh, for those old days, right? Nobody prays that way. But I'm just suggesting to you that on the positive side of your problem, if you will allow this thing, you can actually learn perseverance. You learn how to endure under a, a bad circumstance. And endure, by the way, with a good attitude. It's not gonna stay that way. That's why I say, wait for it. Allow God to develop you, allow God to teach you, allow God to grow you while you are in a bad circumstance. So that's the positive that can come out of a problem. Let me give you the negative. The negative that can come out of the very same problem is you feel pressured to make a decision. I mean, obviously what's implied in the text is Elimelech and Naomi had the pressure of their family. They had to keep food on the table. God didn't seem to be answering their prayers. They, they look at the GPS and it's just, you know, there's a little dot, it's just spinning. <laughs> they know there must be an answer coming, but it's recalculating, rerouting. There's no real definite, definitive direction. And so instead of enduring, hanging in there, seeing the value of patience, trusting God, they respond to pressure, pressure. Can I tell you, anytime you make a decision based on pressure, it's probably going to be a bad decision. Here's what I know when I study the Bible, here it is. The devil will push you and pressure you, God will lead you. You see the difference? God will lead you. The devil will push you, he'll pressure you. And sometimes, listen, sometimes when you are facing trouble and there's famine in your land and you don't know which way to take and God seems to be silent, sometimes, please hear me, the best decision you can make is no decision at all. Just say, I'm just gonna hit the pause button on my life. I, I'm not clear right now. I'm not certain right now. I'm not confident right now. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, just, I'm just gonna hit the pause button. I'm gonna slow this thing down and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till I sense that I have peace and direction for my life. And I have found it in my life when I've had decisions to make and, and I'll, I'll just give you a, just one example. I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't know when I needed to do it. You ever had that deal? And this was a big decision. I mean, I was confident this is what I need to do, but I didn't have any confidence on when do I need to do it. I was praying about it, it was bothering me, it was pressuring me, I was worried about it. This is what I need to do, I don't know when I need to do it. So I talked to a pastor friend, very wise man, had been a mentor to me, I explained my situation to him. He said, well you're obviously praying about it, right? I said, right. He said, so you're, I mean, you're really bringing this before God, you know this is what you need to do, you just don't know when you do it, exactly. I said, so, so what do I do, uh, how will I know? He said, you'll know. I said, that's it, that's it. I'll know, you'll know. I said, that's all you're giving me here is I'll know, you'll know. He said, when it's time, you'll know. So we left and I thought, man, that was a big load of nothing almost. <laughs> but, it, but let me tell you what was crazy about it. It ended up being profound. 
I continued to pray. I continued to be sensitive to it. And you know what happened one day? One day I woke up and I knew. I can't explain it. I just knew. This is what I need to do. And this is when. That's That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying when problems hit your life, understand the positive side. God can develop patience and perseverance, but if you respond to pressure, you may make the problem worse. If you want a better life, make better decisions. (laughs) Just say, look, this hadn't worked for me. Going down this route in a relationship, hadn't worked for me. Going this route with my career, hadn't worked for me. I mean, having developed relationships, that hadn't worked for me. So I'm gonna hit the pause button, I'm gonna wait, I wanna be patient, I wanna persevere, I wanna learn what God is trying to teach me, I don't wanna waste my trouble, because trouble, ladies and gentlemen, trouble is inescapable. Second thought, when you cover and you go in the latter part of Ruth 1 into Ruth chapter 2, here's what you find. You find there was an inevitable process. Elimelech, his sons passing away, making a bad decision, put God in a different gear, which caused God to engage in a new process. The process was twofold. Number one, he was going to bring Naomi back to him. And number two, he was going to bring Ruth to him. Now, Naomi's coming back. Ruth is coming. What am I saying? I'm saying that when you make bad decisions, God can still work even in the bad decisions of our life and ultimately make even the bad decisions work out for our good. Isn't that good news? God doesn't write people off. I've told you before, a person that never made a mistake probably didn't make anything. It doesn't matter who you are or or where you come from, you're you're going to make mistakes, you're gonna sin, it's inevitable, inescapable, you're human, you're, you're fallible, we all are. The very best any of us will ever be are sinners saved by grace. So I'm not hating on Naomi and Elimelech, don't, don't misunderstand me, I'm not hating on them. I may have made the same decision if I'd been in their shoes. I'm just saying it was a bad decision to move away from Bethlehem where God's presence was to go to Moab where his presence wasn't and to make that decision out of an obvious feeling of pressure. But even with a bad decision, get this, God was still at work. Can I tell you God is at work in the mistakes of your life? He's at work in the brokenness of your life? God is at work in the heartache and the disappointments of your life. God is constantly at work. He was working in Ruth and he was working in Naomi and they didn't fully realize or comprehend it, but God, they were in a process. Naomi says, girls, I can't take care of you. Girls, I can't provide for you. And if you read this, she said, even if I had two more sons, are you gonna hang around and wait for them to be old enough to marry you to have? No. She said, I can't care for you. And one of the daughter-in-law's name was uh, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And Orpah says, you know, I'm gonna stay. These are my people, this is where I belong. And her name drops from the canon of scripture. And Ruth says, Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so God brings a broken woman back to him, and he brings a lost woman to him through a bad decision made in a time of problems. 
So I'm just saying the good news about the bad news is God can take your situation today, your brokenness, the mistakes, the problems, and good can come out of it. That's why Romans 8, 28 is so wonderful. We know that all things, good things, bad things, happy things, sad things, righteous things, sinful things, all things, good decisions, bad decisions, God can cause all things to work together for our good, for his glory. That's exactly what was happening in Ruth 1. So they come back. And you see this great process that God is working in the lives of these two women. He's doing some amazing things. Third thing I want you to see is what I've called an incredible providence. When you get to chapter two of Ruth, Ruth gets a job. And the Bible says in Ruth chapter two and verse three, I love it how it's worded in the old King's English. It says it was her hap, H-A-P, her hap to fall on a field that belonged to Boaz. Now, we don't use the word hap anymore. Uh, we get the word happenstance out of that word. We use this word circumstance. Uh, another word would be providence. Uh, providence is a word ascribed only to God. I don't have that. The providence is, comes from two words, pro-video. Providence, pro-video. means to see ahead. I don't have that ability, neither do you. God can see ahead. And so it was simply saying, this was providential. What was happening with Ruth, it was her hap, it was a happy stance, it was her circumstance, it was her providence to start working on a field that belonged to Boaz. Boaz was the wealthy, single man. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she gets a job working for him. But do you know what her job was? She was a gleaner, a gleaner. Now, in that day, you had people who reaped and you have people who glean. The reapers, they would go out and take the larger, more premium uh, cuts of the grain and they would take it to the barn for the landowner. The gleaners were allowed to go behind the reapers. They were poor people and they would just pick up what was missed and what was left by the reapers. And most landowners were benevolent and they would tell the reapers, make sure you, know, don't, don't, you don't have to sweep it clean. Leave something for the gleaners, for the poor folks to be able to uh, subsist and subside and live. And that's exactly what Ruth did. And all of a sudden, man, Boaz spots her. <laughs> Sparks fly. Who is that girl? Man, what a, can somebody get her number for me. Loosely translated. And one of his foremen said, well, boss, that's that Moabite girl. That, that's the girl from Moab that came back with Naomi and, and she's Elimelech's uh, uh, daughter-in-law. That, that's who she is. He goes, man, you, I need to meet her. She's hot. <laughs> that's all in there if you'll read it. Very, very loosely translated, but it's all there. And she's looking at him thinking, he's fine. So you have, this, you have this little thing happening here and they, they meet each other and boy, it's just, it's in the text. You can just read this and see there's just, there's chemistry. There, there's, there's something special that's happening because in the providence of God, he's brought these people together. And, and, and now Ruth has met Boaz and Boaz has met Ruth and, and his heart, is, it just goes out to her and there's this love connection that happens in chapter two. And after they meet, she goes back to work and he tells his workers, he says, I want you to go in front of her and I want you to drop some of the best grain that I have and make sure she finds it. It's called, in the old King's English, it's called handfuls on purpose. Can you imagine Ruth out there? She's working and all of a sudden she's going, how in the world did they miss this? This is amazing. And Boaz is going, how way to go, man. That's, why, that's how I roll, baby. 
and he's dropped. She's picking that up. And then all of a sudden, man, she comes home. And, and it's interesting when you read chapter two, uh, Naomi looks at her like, and, and says, I love how this is worded. She says, where did you glean today? I mean, how did you, nobody makes what you just made. Did you knock over a 7-Eleven? I mean, what just happened here, girl? And she said, met a dude, met a guy, met my beau. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, man, you see this incredible love story as it's developing. And through this thread of providence, you can see how God was working because Naomi now was, was about to have a, a daughter-in-law uh, who is connected now to one of the wealthiest men in the land. So there was financial security. There was love. There was all of the things that you would hope to find. And all of this is happening because of the providential care of God in the lives of these two women but there was a problem. The problem was, according to Hebrew law, um, Boaz wasn't the closest relative to Elimelech to be able to buy his field. Let me explain this. You had to uh, be able to buy the field to have the right to marry the heirs. And because Ruth was Elimelech's daughter-in-law, her husband had died, Elimelech had died, legally, the first right of refusal, if you will, on the land went to the nearest relative. Boaz was the next one in line, not the first. So Boaz is thinking, wow, if I'm gonna marry this girl, if we're gonna buy this inheritance, I've gotta give at least the guy in front of me the opportunity, uh, you know, to buy the land and marry Ruth. I may not end up with Ruth. So you see this tension. So Boaz in chapter three, he pulls together the, the, um, the, the city fathers, if you will, the councilmen, if you will. And he brings this relative in. And he says, you know Naomi's back and Elimelech has died. And you as the nearest kinsman, you have the legal right to buy her land. And this is a very valuable piece of property. And Boaz says, I'm, I'm, I'm offering to see if you, you're willing to purchase it. The guy says, yeah. Yeah, I'll buy it. And Boaz says, there's one little caveat. <laughs> um, you gotta marry Ruth. And the Bible says the man turned it down because he said, this will infect, affect my inheritance, my reputation. Now let me broaden the lens out and explain. He looked at Ruth as this little Moabite girl. She had a history, she had a past. She wasn't raised like I was raised, she's raised differently. She didn't have the upbringing or the culture or the class. So it was kind of a, he looked down her nose at her. He, he looked down at Ruth like, you know, boys from Bethlehem High don't date girls from Moab High. <laughs> That's not, you, you, if, if you're gonna bring a girl home to mama, you don't bring a girl from Moab home to mama. Because mama's gonna look down her nose at any girl that comes out of Moab and he turns her down. He says, I don't want that reputation. I, I don't want to be identified with a woman that has that kind of a past or a woman that has that kind of baggage or a woman that comes from Moab. And don't you know, Boaz's heart jumped, just leaped within him. He says, man, I was hoping you'd say that. You know why? He loved her. He loved that girl. He said, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care that you're from Moab. Honey, I love you. And can I tell you, it became a beautiful picture of how God views us, how God views me, how he views you. He doesn't care where we come from. He doesn't care that we have a past. 
He doesn't care that other people may look down their noses at us. You know why? Because he loves us. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinful, Christ died for us. Boaz loved Ruth. They got married. They had a little baby boy, named him Obed. There's your name, girls. You want to think about that one? Obed. Obed. Obed grew up, and Obed had a little boy. She named him Jesse. That's a good name. Jesse grew up. He had a little boy. He named him David. He became the king of Israel, the psalmist, the apple of God's eye. And when you look in Matthew 1, when you read the lineage of Jesus, guess who's there? That little Moabite girl that that nut job turned down so that Boaz could marry, and she's in the lineage of Jesus. A problem that brought about a process that revealed an amazing providence. Ladies and gentlemen, God's at work in your life this morning. You may be way off the track, but if you'll connect with him and listen to him and be sensitive to him, he can reroute you. He can get you back where you need to be. He's the God of the do-over, the God of the second chance. He'll bring you back. He'll get you back. He'll bring joy into your life. If you don't know him, I highly recommend him. If you're distanced from him, I tell you, come home. Come home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that never, ever grows old. And as we've just kind of skimmed over the surface of the book of Ruth, as we've talked about a few things that just jump off the page, how that these problems led to a bad decision. But in that decision, there was a process at work. You were working, Lord. Your providence was at work to bring Naomi home and to bring Ruth to you. And Father, help us to realize that we're not incidental or accidental, that you have a purpose and plan for every life. Lord, I pray for my friends that are watching or in this room that have never trusted you as their Savior, that this might be the moment when they say, Lord Jesus, with all that I am, I trust all that you are. I invite you into my life to be my Savior, to forgive my sin. For others this morning who may be faced with some problems and maybe have made some poor decisions, I pray they'll have the confidence to reach out, to listen, to trust you, to wait. You said those who wait on you will renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagles. They run and they aren't weary. They walk and they don't faint. So Father, I pray you'll strengthen us today. And finally, for those who need someone to pray for them before they go home, I pray they'll find their place here at the front as soon as I dismiss. Let one of our workers encourage them and pray for them before they go home. Father, thank you again for your word, for the beautiful love story that the book of Ruth is. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week. 